Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from our nation's capital. President Joe Biden's $1.9 trillion pandemic relief package. We're not going to hear any more about Operation Warp Speed. They're going to be calling it the COVID response. We're talking right now about 2024 jockeying amongst Republicans. Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. Biden has promised again and again that he will unite the country. Who do you think Biden has to watch in terms of moderate defectors? The House has been voting for this stimulus package basically for months. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. And I'm Jeannie Shanzano in for Kevin Cirilli on this busy Friday afternoon. Um, Joining me as always is Bloomberg political contributor Rick Davis. And later we're going to be talking to Representative French Hill of Arkansas. It's the end, as Charlie said, of a really, really busy week, both on Wall Street and in our nation's capital. I'm not sure I would have believed that at the same time we had this quote-unquote Reddit revolution hitting Wall Street, we would also be hearing from the Speaker of the House telling reporters that she's concerned that threats against members of Congress are coming, in her words, from within the House of Representatives. And of course, all this is happening at the same time the Biden administration is trying to push Congress to pass its almost $1.9 trillion stimulus package to address the continuing pandemic. During a briefing with President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris today, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said the benefits of acting big on stimulus now will far outweigh the cost in the long run. We have sound on that. It's a huge amount of pain in our economy right now, and it was evident in the data released yesterday. The price of doing nothing is much higher than the price of doing something and doing something big. We need to act now, and the benefits of acting now and acting big will far outweigh the costs in the long run. And on his way to board Marine One during a visit with wounded service members at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center, President Biden was asked whether he supports passing pandemic relief legislation through reconciliation. We have sound on that. I support passing COVID relief with support from Republicans if we can get it. But the COVID relief has to pass. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. Joining me to talk about all of this, no ifs, ands, or buts, is Rick Davis, Bloomberg contributor, partner at Stone Court Capital, former campaign manager for John McCain's 2008 presidential campaign, and Boyd Matheson, former chief of staff for Senator Mike Lee and opinion editor at Deseret News. So, Rick, let me start with you and ask you, Janet Yellen says we need to act and we need to act now and we need to go big. Will they go big or not? 
Well, their their plan is to go big, the $1.9 trillion uh, Biden plan, which echoes the last year's Pelosi plan, about the same amount, um, is going big. I think that's been well determined. And, and I think the point uh, that uh, uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is making today is that it's going to cost us in the long run if we don't fix it now. So let's throw this money at the problem. Let's create options for us in the future. If we have to spend more money in the future, we can, but if we can't go back and repair the damage that's been done now without a big package. And that's what they're, they're trying to push this through the Senate, push this through the House. And, and, and I think this is the main argument they're making is the clock's ticking and we don't have time to waste. Yeah, and, and Boyd Matheson, so good to talk to you. Are we facing, as the president um, was asked today, reconciliation, or do you think the Republicans, your former boss, do you think they will go along with a bill close to $1.9 trillion? You know, at, at this point, I think we end up in reconciliation. It just seems to be that they're uh, they're so far apart, and, and we even have folks like uh, Rob Portman saying, hey, this is this is not how you get to compromise and unity. Uh, and that is how you end up at reconciliation. And the one thing that for me is that the, the red flag is always when someone says the clock is ticking uh, and that we have a fiscal cliff or we have a Armageddon or, you know, pick your pick your description there. Uh, that usually means that the political sides of things are just going to push things through, jam it through. Uh, and that's never really in the in the best interest. I'd love to see this broken apart into some targeted things that you could actually debate uh, amend and vote on in front of the American people for a little transparency and a little accountability in terms of what actually happens as a result. Yeah, Boyd, I think you're this, Rick, again, you're, you're exactly right that it looks like this thing is headed literally split to reconciliation probably around March. Uh, so it gives them some time to try and form a coalition. We know there are Republicans who want to do something uh, fiscally responsible uh, right now. There's been some decent conversations on a bipartisan basis, but uh, even through this process, are there Republicans in the Senate, uh, specifically in this sort of um, more mainstream caucus, if you want to call it that, who might be even on a reconciliation bill willing to cross party aisle to help out? Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's possible, Rick, and and I think you you raise the, the really important point there in terms of you know can can you build some momentum? Can can you move it along there? Uh, again, I think the politics of it has become so hard. Uh, that it, I think it's just going to be tough. And, and sadly, what I think we end up with is, you know, something that's done behind closed doors, uh, sort of by the, the four-person law firm of, of Pelosi, McConnell, uh, Schumer, and uh, McCarthy. Sounds uh, like a bipartisan panel there. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, although it's an interesting kind of bipartisanship, it's not left or right. It's those in power, those with power, and, and everyone else, uh, which is too bad because I do think there are some targeted things that can be done. Uh, and that everybody agrees on, that everybody on both sides agree on. Uh, and they should show that that actually is a governing model uh, that could work. Yeah. yeah. And, and Rick Boyd mentions as part of that four person law firm. I love that Boyd. He he mentioned Kevin McCarthy. And so I've been I want to ask you about Kevin McCarthy's trip yesterday to Florida, as well as Matt Gates trip to Wyoming um, to rally against Liz Cheney. What is happening to your party, this Republican Party? Are they going to embrace Donald Trump? Um, are they going to move away from him as we approach this trial? Well, I, I think we've got to be clear about what um, Kevin McCarthy was doing down in uh, uh, Mar-a-Lago with uh, former President Trump, and that was so, sort of self-preservation. I mean, he'd been outspoken critical of Donald Trump after the Capitol attack. 
uh, and almost as if he'd forgotten uh, what he'd said, he almost all of a sudden flipped and started kowtowing to the former president again. Uh, he's down there to try and get the president to help him win back the House. He thinks that uh, nobody's going to pay any attention to this flip-flop that he's doing, and that what's really important is that he gain power as a new speaker in 2020, 2022 elections. And so it's pretty self-serving, and he'll take criticism for it, uh, but I think his attitude is we have a chance to win the House in 2022, and I need Donald Trump to do it in a lot of these dicey districts. And so that may be the best option he has to try and push forward. Last thing he wants is Donald Trump uh, complaining that he's going to leave the party and take his supporters with him because that would undermine his chances of becoming speaker. And, and Boyd, Rick, Rick made such a good point. Is this all about 2022, and do Republicans have a shot at the House? Um, and, and is this their path to getting it again? Yeah, I, I think a very interesting thing is going to emerge, uh, and, and Rick laid it out very nicely. I think there's currently three prongs to the Republican Party. You've got those that are more in the loyal uh, former President Trump camp. You have those that are in the more establishment kind of Mitch McConnell. Let's go back to the way we used to do it uh, with the establishment having the power and control. Uh, and then there's sort of this third way group. Uh, and uh, the real challenge for 2022 and beyond uh, is if you have a three pronged party, uh, it's impossible to win a national election. It's even hard to win a statewide election. Uh, and so the question then will become is can this group get uh, past purity tests uh, like we're seeing with Liz Cheney? Uh, and can we get it to become more of a coalition uh, party where we disagree on a host of things, whether you're on the, the Trump wing or the McConnell wing or somewhere in between? Can you come together in order to stop some of the things that are happening by executive order, some of the things that will continue to be pushed that will move the country further and further to the left and government bigger spending uh, more and uh, the national debt, uh, again, looming as I think one of our biggest national security threats? Hey, Boyd, I want to follow up on something you just touched upon, uh, because there's a similar dynamic in the Democratic Party, right? I mean, the Republicans <laughs> yeah. aren't the only ones who have a lot of internal work to be done. And, and, and I get the impression that a lot of this talk that we've just had about, like, we've got to go big, we've got to preserve this $1.9 trillion stimulus package, is, is they're setting themselves up for failure. So even if they just reduce it a little bit to get some Republicans on board and make passage work— I don't think a couple hundred billion is going to matter, but like, isn't the left headed by AOC and Bernie just going to go nuts if they knock a penny off of that bill? Yeah, and you actually raised the the, the best point of the day, and that and that is the best thing going for the Republicans right now is that the Democrats have the exact same problem. Uh, the the left, the far left, is swinging further left. The establishment left uh, with Pelosi and Schumer are, are doing their thing, and there's this third way. Uh, and, and I do think they'll they'll have to fight some battles if they do trim it by a by a penny. Uh, but man, I, I tell you, every penny they drop to to make it a bipartisan bill, uh, they will re, re, recruit in triplicate in terms of election wins uh, and framing in terms of the agenda that they're trying to move forward. And Rick, I can't imagine this thing passes at $1.9 trillion with a Senate at 50-50. So I, I think we are looking at, at some kind of trimming, at, you know, whether it's the minimum wage or something else. What are you predicting we're going to see where the battle lines are drawn on this bill? Yeah, I think for sure the president, uh, President Biden, is going to sign a stimulus bill, you know, by spring, right? I mean, I think that's baked into everybody's equation uh, they know it's coming, whether it's in regular order or reconciliation, as Boyd says, we're going to see that pretty soon. But there's a negotiation. And I do think 
there will be some trimming. I, I do think there'll be compromise, as well as should. Uh, it's how the democratic process is supposed to work. And I do think the Biden White House is going to try and hold on as long as it can within this four-year term to the idea that they want to find bipartisan solutions and have Republicans on their big-ticket questions. Joe Biden still is haunted by the fact that they passed massive health care reform without a single Republican vote in the first year of the Biden administration, and he doesn't want to replicate that outcome. It is such a good point, and it does seem like that haunts him. So I want to talk more with Rick and Boyd about one of the biggest stories of the week, if not maybe the month or the year, and that's the so-called David versus Goliath battle between the Reddit traders and Wall Street. And we are going to do that um, as soon as we get back. I am Jeannie Shanzano, and this is Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business, demands. At the Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how the Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Jeannie Shanzano in for Kevin Cirilli here with Rick Davis and Boyd Matheson. And it's clear uh, we heard today again that both the White House and the SEC have been following this uh, GameStop uprising. Earlier today, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki was asked for the White House's response to the issue, and she pointed to the SEC statement noting that the administration respects the role of regulatory agencies. We have sound on that. We, of course, respect the role of regulatory agencies. Um, uh, They are closely monitoring the situation, but it's under their purview at this point in time. And I guess part of our education can be conveying to people that the SEC is the regulatory body that would oversee this and can speak to it further. So, Rick, I know you are somebody who understands the market, and I was hearing all day today conflicting accounts from really smart people about whether, in fact, there was collusion here. So what is your view on that? You know, look, I mean, this is not the first time we've seen market makers, you know, manipulate the market, right? I mean, this has been happening for as long as there's been a market. In this case, you know, it's cloaked in the decentralization of finance and, you know, the the GME revolution. Um, You know, it's almost like the Occupy Wall Street 
uh, protest movement has made its way into the market. And and so um, it's it's not that unusual. Uh, what is unusual is it's 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 kind of in reverse. I mean, a lot of people remember, you know, the the movie The Big Short, where uh, the heroes were the people who were actually doing the shorting of the mortgage stocks and in uh, the bonds, and and so they became the sort of cult heroes in the post two thousand eight. Uh, uh, crash because of the mortgage crisis. And, and now it's almost the reverse, where the shorts have now become the evil uh, establishment figures. So I think we see a whole act playing out. I think that the regulatory agencies will look at this and they don't want to manipulate into the markets anymore than they have to. Uh, there are a lot of people who are going to make money and lose money. Shock. It's the Wall Street uh, markets the way they work. And, uh, and so it's, it's fun to watch, but I'm really not sure there is a lot of reform that's needed other than um, this is one version of a bubble that's going to burst. Yeah. And Boyd, we've heard talk that there will be hearings in Congress on this. And to Rick's point, again, you know, it's still early in this story as it unfolds. Do you think we are looking at regulation out of Washington, D.C.? And if so, what type? Yeah, it will be fascinating to see those hearings. I'm sure there'll be a lot of good social media moments uh, as the members of Congress pontificate on that one. Uh, and, and to Rick's point, that there, there's always been market manipulators. Usually they're just the uh, the big fat cat guys. And so this is kind of a, a reverse moment here. Uh, I think in terms of the, the agencies and the hearings and what kind of reforms, they'll, they'll always be, everyone will use it as an opportunity to talk about the kind of reform. Uh, but it's really interesting because it does get to the heart of, I think, what a lot of the problems in Washington are. And it, and it is the agency uh, issue, which is a congressional problem when Congress doesn't do its job or abdicates its power to the executive branch so that they don't have to be accountable uh, for doing things so they can tell their constituents, hey, don't don't yell at me. You know, go go talk to the guys uh, in the in the agency or, or in the administration uh, and so I think this is this will be another uh, political football. It'll bounce around a little bit. I don't see, uh, as Rick said, I don't I don't see a lot of big change or big, uh, you know, regulatory reform happening as a result of this. But it will bring uh, a, a lot of theater and a lot of things to the committee hearings that uh, will come for sure. Boyd, it's such a good point because we struggle to try to convey, at least I do to students in the classroom, how that narrative works in D.C. where Congress people don't want to necessarily be held responsible for what they have or haven't done, and they kick the can to the agencies. So, Rick, you seem to be saying you don't see changes coming in this regard. If we don't see changes, are we going to see more of the same, more GameStops, more AMCs down the road? Sure. Um, I, I don't think we're going to have a significant reform that comes out of this. I'm not exactly sure what the reform would be. You can't tell people what stocks they can buy and they can't buy. Uh, Reddit uh, uh, exploded yesterday when um, when uh, the, 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 the platforms that they were buying stocks on basically shut them down for a while to cool it off. And, and so I, I don't think there's a solution in that. And I would say, remember, it's not always Congress – saying that they're going to defer to these agencies. Uh, after the 2008 uh, uh, financial crisis, the, there was something called Dodd-Frank, which was the reform bill of all reform bills. And, and it was created to fix this problem forever. Of course, they never envisioned this being a problem. And so we be careful what we ask for. I mean, I don't think anybody in the financial community would want another Dodd-Frank style reform bill. In fact, I think Everybody, Republican and Democrat alike, don't see this as a partisan issue. 
and and most of Capitol Hill is not keen to uh, monkey with the financial markets, especially in this uh, difficult period that we're going through uh, financially. So I think we're going to see a lot of smoke, but not a lot of fire on legislation. And and Boyd, on that point, um, if we don't see action, are you foreseeing we have more democratization of the markets? We have more of these stocks that end up like a you know AMC, like GameStop, and there's very little that can be done about it. Yeah, I think in the short term, there'll probably be some gyrations that way. And I think you'll see a few of those things bubble up and, and you'll have you'll have kind of that bubble and pop, bubble and pop uh, as it moves through there. Uh, but again, I, I just can't see where the reform happens, uh, but it will allow both sides to scream a little bit about it. Uh, but uh, again, I don't think in the end there's going to be a whole lot done about it. More coming up on this and other things going on on Capitol Hill and across the Capitol um, and Wall Street. This is Sound On. On Bloomberg, I am Jeannie Shanzano, in for Kevin Sorelli. Answering questions at the White House briefing today, Press Secretary Jen Psaki tied the delay in confirming Alejandro Mayorkas as the head of Homeland Security to the ability of the administration to move forward in terms of signing President Biden's executive orders on immigration. We have sound on that. We had planned uh, to do it this week because we'd hoped that Ali Mayorkas would be confirmed uh, by the end of this week. But because of the filibuster of his nomination, um, we expect him to be confirmed on Monday evening and therefore the president will sign it on Tuesday. And uh, and then Secretary uh, Mayorkas will be overseeing that moving forward. So I'm speaking with Bloomberg contributor Rick Davis and opinion editor at the Deseret News, Boyd Matheson. So, Rick, what is going on with this nomination? It's all about immigration reform. Uh, we, we, we keep coming around in circles. And until we uh, really get some reform in place and take this off of the hot button list of political topics, this is going to continue. Uh, Senator Grassley put a filibuster on this nomination. I would remind everybody that we have not had a Senate confirmed uh, head of the Department of Homeland Security, a very important place, uh, since the spring of 2019, almost two years and so this was the chance for the uh, Biden administration to get their man on board. Uh, he's eminently qualified for this. And it took five Republicans, Romney, Collins, Portman, Murkowski, and Capito, to side with the Democrats to break the, the uh, filibuster and move this nomination toward uh, confirmation on Monday night. But uh, this is just playing out as one more opportunity for Republicans to beat the drum on immigration. Rick, that is just fascinating. Since 2019, we have not had a Senate-confirmed head of Homeland Security, despite the sort of what we're hearing are the domestic and the international threats to the homeland. That's right. And and, and even just this week, you would think with the news of the Department of Homeland Security issuing a threat bulletin on domestic extremism and how they've been emboldened by the Capitol attacks and are, and are a present danger uh, I, I would think this would be everybody would jump on board and say, oh, my God, we've got to get somebody in charge of this thing for at least a wish we know who to call if there's a problem in my home state. Yeah, Boyd, and let me bring you in here. Is this just two inside baseball people at home won't, you know, care if there is a filibuster threat, a filibuster or not? Um, is that why Republicans are able to do this? 
Yeah, the people at home are definitely not uh, counting the noses on uh, on this kind of confirmation. And to Rick's point, they they should be. This this is a, a role that matters, and and I'm one of those that believe that a, a president of either political party should should pretty much be able to choose who's on their team and who their leaders are. Uh, giving a few exceptions, obviously, and and the Senate's role to advise and consent should be that uh, and get those things uh, confirmed. The interesting thing is uh, that, again, it comes to this immigration issue that neither side seems to want to solve uh, because it's just too good of a political point to keep scoring on. Uh, I actually believe that you could take probably 94.5% of the immigration issue and everybody agrees on it. You could solve it in one afternoon on the floor of the House and the Senate. Uh, but both sides, you know, both sides know we've got to have some kind of border. We've got to have an updated system that makes it easier to come in legally. Uh, we have to have a, a good uh, H-1B program. We need to have an entry-exit system so we know who comes in and who goes out. And, I mean, if Disneyland can tell me where my kids are in the park at any moment for three days, surely the greatest country on earth can figure out how to do that. Uh, but, again, it comes back to this political point scoring from both sides. And so it remains that hot-button issue and uh, again, I agree with Rick, and I think Jeannie, you're leading us there in, in in terms of look, we can agree on the vast majority of this. Let's let's pick it off, laser focus, get this off the hot button list, and uh, get some good governing in for the people. And Rick Boyd's point is so well taken. I feel like every two years, I'm saying to somebody, "Well, we would have immigration reform, except there's an election coming up." Well, there's always an election <laughs> coming up. So, is it? you know, in your mind, impossible to imagine that we get movement beyond an EO on immigration reform because we are facing a midterm election in two years? Yeah, sooner or later, I think we make progress. I'm I'm, I'm an eternal optimist. Uh, you know, I, I'm the only one who's ever run a presidential campaign where in the primary, one of our points was a massive immigration reform proposal within the Republican Party. So uh, I, I, if I'm willing to walk down that street, I'm willing to do anything. And uh, and, and that's that that's where I thought it would happen. I mean, George Bush had one when he was president and uh, and Democrats stopped it from happening. Uh, John McCain had one when he ran for president and, and one when he was senator, and he couldn't get a coalition of Republicans and Democrats to agree with him. It's not like one party was willing to cede the turf on this. It's exactly what yeah. Boyd has said. It's just too juicy a campaign issue to want to actually take off the list. And sooner or later, someone's going to figure out what, what Boyd is selling, and that is I can get 80 percent of this. What that's, that's considered progress on this issue. Nothing's happened, uh, really, uh, that's not destructive uh, for literally years. And so it's about time we move forward. And, and Boyd, let me ask you, because it seems like it's been a while um, in terms of maybe in the modern presidency. Most presidents are getting, you know, one, maybe two big bills through Congress early in their administration, and then they're stymied. So if Biden does get a COVID relief bill of, of some size, does that mean something like immigration or infrastructure is probably off the table after that? Yeah, that, that's a really great question, Jeannie, and, I, and I'm not sure. I, I think because of the, the pandemic, uh, he may he may get another one beyond that, because I, I think this is one that people will at least say, well, in the end, we, we at least tried something uh, that hopefully helped the American people in the middle of a pandemic. So I, I don't think it necessarily takes an infrastructure or an immigration piece uh, off the board uh, yet. Uh, but again, so much of this gets gets calculated around kind of the fake fights and false choices uh, because so many of these things we can do, whether it's transportation or immigration, uh, you know, on immigration, we can finally come to terms that compassion and rule of law are compatible principles. 
Uh, and so you can get those things done. And, and to me, that's the, the hope. And I think it's the struggle for both parties uh, moving forward, because increasingly with the fracture that we talked about earlier in the hour, uh, it is going to be this movable middle, these people from the center left to the center right who want to talk about community and compassion and upward mobility and opportunity for them and their kids. Uh, ultimately, that group is going to realize they have a voice and they have some power uh, but nobody's talking to them in a way that uh, makes sense. They're just really exhausted by the two extremes. Yeah, and it was we keep hearing about the need to move on on uh, immigration, rather, and we will likely, as we heard from Jen Psaki, see these EOs signed, the executive actions signed, and, and move forward early next week. But whether we get legislation, I think, I, I Rick is very optimistic, much more optimistic than I am that we see that, but maybe we will. want to thank so much Boyd Matheson, former chief of staff for Senator Mike Lee, opinion editor at the Deseret News. Such a pleasure to talk with you, Boyd. And coming up next on Sound On, Rick and I are going to be speaking with Representative French Hill of Arkansas. I am Jeannie Shanzano, and this is Bloomberg. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, The Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business, demands. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. And I'm Jeannie Shanzano in for Kevin Cirilli. Uh, with here with me is Bloomberg contributor Rick Davis. And joining us now is Representative French Hill, Republican from Arkansas, who has represented the second congressional district uh, since 2015. So, Congressman Hill, thanks so much for joining us at the end of this busy week. Well, Jeannie, Rick, it's good to be with you. Thanks for the time. And speaking of this week, I wanted to start by asking you something that I know you've spoken out about. Um, we saw the president, the administration move forward on their environmental plans, their executive orders. And the president was clear that he said when it is climate day at the White House, that means it's jobs day. What is your response to the executive order, specifically the Keystone Pipeline? Well, Jeannie, I am uh, utterly disappointed in Joe Biden's uh, response on the Keystone Pipeline. This has been a 12-year saga starting back in 2008 to build a, a Trans-Canada Pipeline from Alberta to the Gulf Coast to transport Canadian oil to help make both Canada and America more energy independent, increase our economy, increase our jobs, transport that oil safely. 
This isn't stopping oil from being produced in Alberta. It's being put in a rail car and transported uh, over to uh, Oklahoma and Texas for refining. And the safe way to do that is by a, a pipeline. Further, the Keystone is the first pipeline that will be constructed in the U.S. that will be net emissions zero upon its opening. So I'm just disappointed that Joe Biden doesn't recognize the importance of this Canadian and American infrastructure project. And Representative Hill, to follow up on that, what is the job impact in your district or Arkansas as a whole in terms of the actions that the president took uh, vis-a-vis the Keystone Pipeline? We had a press uh, conference today with our stevedores, people who unload the steel coils on the Arkansas River or load up the steel pipe. Uh, that also the steel welders and the union men and women who work in that arena and the pipe manufacturer itself that's manufactured over 50% of the Keystone Pipeline, Wellspun, which is right here in Little Rock. We think it'll be several hundred jobs impacted uh, by the fact uh, that if this pipe is not put in the ground that's paid for by TransCanada, then it's going to be dumped on the market and depress prices for steel pipeline transmission pipe. And that's not good for the economy. It's not good for jobs. and It's not good for Little Rock. Congressman Hill, Rick Davis here. Thanks again for being on the program. Really appreciate the time you're giving us today. And and maybe to just to pivot a little bit uh, off of the Keystone Pipeline and maybe onto the top of the to the newspaper today on, on all the crazy activity on Wall Street related to um, the uh, GameStop initiative. And I know you're the uh, on the Committee for Investor Protection and Entrepreneurship and Capital Markets. So this is right down your alley. And uh, we've seen some mention today by the uh, acting SEC chair, Allison Lee, that um, they're going to they're going to look into this. They're going to probe it. They're going to look for misconduct by regulated entities, those people who are you know, financially regulated by the SEC. But from what your perspective is and the, the look you've done at it, what, where, where do you think that the regulatory agencies go? I mean, my, I, I'm, I'm sort of dumbfounded to know where, where the harm is right now. Well, Rick, it's a, it's a fascinating business case study to see a, a company, a public company, GameStop, being shorted for people who don't think it has a good future and have that short countered by a group of investors acting in concert on bulletin boards uh, and that it's produced a short squeeze like that. I don't think we've seen it in the dot-com boom. I don't think uh, I've seen that before. And I've, I've been in this industry 40 years and starting – Uh, with the silver corner back in 1979. So I've seen a lot of short squeezes, a lot of crashes uh, over my career. Here's the things I'm going to look at as a member of that committee. One, let's talk about the compliance obligations for the retail brokerage customer at a Robin Hood or one of those firms. Were they fully compliant with the SEC and FINRA rules about margin, option, option use, uh, net worth? Was all that transparent and disclosed properly to those investors. Uh, uh, And then the bulletin board issue. If you're an investor and you do form a group to be engaged in in buying shares in a public company, is there any SEC obligation there if you act in concert under certain rules and accumulating a certain amount of stock? I'm very curious about uh, that issue. As so far as reporting a of, that as a, a uh, trade in concert and, and being yeah, potentially regulated uh, by that, right? 
Right, and I'm not arguing they did that because I don't have that information, but I think it's a question I have. That's my point. Uh, and so I think there is uh, quite a few uh, items on both sides of Capitol Hill and the committee in terms of the parties that are interested in this. And then, and then finally, uh, uh, what, if anything, needs to be changed as a result of what we've seen in terms of regulation or the rules as a result of this uh, very uh, challenging uh, market situation over the last few weeks. Yeah, Congressman, you make a really uh, important point about uh, this idea of acting in concert, because we know that there are certain platforms like Reddit, you know, where these groups have formed. And uh, and, and what's different about sort of uh, some of these things in the past, which have been sort of pump and dump schemes where a whole group of people get together, they pump up the stock, uh, but then they get out. In this case, they don't seem to be looking to be sellers in this market. And they 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 but they do seem to be having the same motivation. And, and, and yet, on the other hand, momentum buying is not prohibited, right? So if you see someone uh, buying up a stock and you think it's going to keep going up, you're, you're more than happy to jump right in and keep running it up. And so it, it, it seems to me that there, there's, there's, there's very difficult uh, uh, time for regulators and members of Congress like you to look at this and maybe say, okay, we're seeing new phenomena based on the technology and accessibility of investment, and is there something we should be looking at as far as disclosures or requirements like that, as you mentioned? So I'm, I'm curious, will you be holding hearings in your subcommittee, and uh, if so, uh, is this something you would see uh, eminent? I do anticipate the House Financial Services Committee uh, holding a hearing. Both uh, Patrick McHenry, the ranking Republican, and the chair, Maxine Waters, I think are supportive of that. I think it will be soon. But, you know, all this also goes around to our own responsibility as investors for caveat emptor, understanding what we're doing, understanding uh, the technology that we're using, understanding our obligations and in investing, and those two important rules in investing. Rule number one, never lose money. Rule number two, remember rule number one. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, you know, and so, uh, but it still brings up a number of key public policy questions in this new testing uh, based on what we've seen in retail investment access and cost. And this new role, I would say, in, in bulletin boards and Reddit as compared to the bulletin board activity we saw begin in the earliest days of the internet leading up to the dot-com crash. And Representative Hill, I've got to remember both of those rules. That's where I've gone wrong. Um, let me just turn and ask you a little bit about Nancy Pelosi's uh, statement to reporters on Thursday, where she said that the enemy is within the House of Representatives. Have you heard or have you yourself felt any sort of fear, um, any threats by other members of Congress? And what did you make of her statement that uh, Thursday? I've served in Congress six years. I've had a collegial relationship on both sides of the aisle. I've never once felt any concern for my safety in the Capitol uh, or from uh, each other, our colleagues, uh, other than what happened in the Capitol on January 6th. So point one. Point two is I was distressed by what Nancy Pelosi says. We need leaders in this country right now who are toning down the rhetoric, not ramping up the divisive rhetoric. Speaker Pelosi has simply not gotten that message uh, all along the way before the election and post-election. And I really urge her 
to uh, step back from this kind of, of rhetoric. And can I just follow up on that and ask you, as as we look towards next week, we're hearing that uh, there may be a vote in terms of Liz Cheney and, and leadership on your side. Do you think she survives that and she remains in leadership? Liz Cheney is a, a valued member of the Republican conference. Uh, people have different views of votes. And again, in my six years, I've heard a lot of people say that they're voting their conscience, they're voting their principles, and that they shouldn't be condemned for it. And clearly, in this particular instance, uh, uh, Congresswoman Cheney believes that she voted her principles and voted her conscience. And so, in my view, she has just as much uh, right to serve in the House and serve in, in leadership. If her colleagues support her, I'm supportive of Liz as a, as a member of our leadership team. And I think it's important that we have a a family discussion about that in the House Republican Conference and and determine the best course to move forward. Representative French Hill, it's been such an honor to talk to you representing the 2nd District in Arkansas since 2015. Hope to talk to you again very soon. I also want to thank Boyd Matheson and, of course, my colleague, Bloomberg political contributor, partner at Stone Court Capital, former campaign manager for John McCain's 2008 presidential campaign, Rick Davis. I am Jeannie Shanzano, in for Kevin Cirilli, and this is Sound On on Bloomberg. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.